Hello, everyone, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast. I am your host, James Williams, and today I talk to Dalton Pence, who is the host of the Locked On Louisville podcast, and we talk about the Louisville basketball program. What has gone wrong since Rick Pitino left? It looked like maybe Chris Mack was doing a all right job his first two years there. The last few years, though, haven't been good, and now Louisville only has two wins and looks like one of the worst teams in college basketball right now. We also talk about, is there a chance Rick Pitino, can he come back to Louisville? If he's not going to go back to Louisville, could he jump to another Power 5 powerful job in college basketball? Then we talk about the Louisville football program, Scott Satterfield's short tenure with Louisville, him leaving for Cincinnati, Jeff Brome coming in to replace them, the expectations for Louisville's football program heading into next year, and even some stuff about why it seemed like if you watch Louisville football over the last few years, why it seemed they were kind of erratic and inconsistent. We talk about all of that and a little bit more. Good conversation with Dalton lasted about 22, 23 minutes. And without any further ado, here's our conversation with Dalton Pence. All right, joining us is Dalton Pence, the host of the Locked On Louisville podcast. And Dalton, I'm going to start here, maybe on a sore subject right now, Louisville basketball, the men's basketball program. If you just go back to March 2020, the team's playing really well, ranked really high most of the year. Looks like maybe going to be a two, three seed in the tournament. COVID happens. There's no NCAA tournament. And then basically everything has just gone downhill. Uh, with the basketball program, missed the tournament in 2021. Last season, uh, Chris Mack gets fired in the middle of the season. H- how did we get here where now we're in the middle of the heart of the basketball season and Louisville basketball only has two wins, they're 2-17. and 17. How how did we get here? James, first of all, appreciate you having me on. Definitely, definitely, definitely grateful. Um, it feels like it's been 10 years since and the team played in that 2020 season. It, I mean, I think part of that is, you know, the pandemic felt like it was, I mean, it's still going on, but like the, the time frame from April, 2020 to April, 2022, the two years felt like 10 years. So I think that basketball wise, the cards were ranked number one at one point in that 2019, 20 season. But what a lot of people don't realize or they kind of forget, especially if you don't follow the team, is that in the latter half of that season, the team was struggling. I mean, you're talking about losses to Clemson, um, your losses that the team just shouldn't have had. And yes, the team was probably in line for a, a low two, high three seed, which granted would have been great especially since um you know chris mack was was trying to take the team to the next level but man i'll tell you a lot of people had their concerns on whether or not this was a second weekend team because it was just so hit or miss in terms of the consistency so you you throw that out the window because 2020 obviously the tournament and everything just didn't happen the next season kind of more of those same issues uh there's some questions surrounding the offensive identity of the team um chris mack had to go into the portal and really kind of re-piece this team together when you lose guys like david johnson and carly jones um 
Obviously, you have the NCAA cloud over your head, so it's hard to recruit high school realm guys. Um, but starts out decent. You get a win against NC State 2021. I won't bore you with that. But ultimately, it stuff kind of hits the fan. And we're at a point in 2022 to where it's kind of unsalvageable. Um, it seems like there may have been some drama between the president and Chris Mack um, that maybe he was a little bit checked out. But regardless, the team either just wasn't responding or the coaching staff wasn't doing the right job. Whatever may have you, we get to the point where they agree to a buyout. Kenny Payne comes in, um, goes through the transfer portal. Obviously, NCAA, NCAA cloud still over his head. Not a lot of time to recruit high school guys. Doesn't really have a ton of success in the transfer portal outside of Brandon Huntley Hatfield. Was obviously going to be a rebuild year, but I'd be lying to you, James, if I said that fans were expecting it to be this bad. And alas, here we are in year one of Kenny Payne, um, you know, heading into the back half of the schedule. And I mean, this is one of the worst seasons in Power Five history. And a lot of the fan base has just kind of checked out mentally right now. If you guys keep losing and lose out for the rest of the season, the two-win Louisville team and the two-win Iowa State team from a few years ago, they can play each other and then decide who is actually the real best two-win team of all time. I mean, that's it's wild to me. There, I mean, there's a couple opportunities for the Cards to pick up their first ACC win. I mean, they have Georgia Tech twice, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech. Both, all three of those teams have one ACC win to date. But still, I mean, this is a team that's over the past month or so has lost by double digits more than they haven't. So, I mean, just very alarming. Um, seeing a lot of the same issues, not seeing a ton of improvement so far. Um, has a lot of people wondering about the future uh, of Louisville basketball as it pertains to the Kenny Payne era, how long that's going to last, so on and so forth. This feels like like Louisville's a program that's won three national championships. It's a program one of them's you know whatever the 2013 one but like it i have on it but thank you thank you for being logical <laughs> thank you <laughs> it's a it's a program that thinks very highly of itself and it's just very shocking that this team is just really just kind of nosedive this year yeah and mm-hmm. you're right if it feels like just outside looking in if kenny payne can't if they're bad again next year if louisville's bad next year it just feels like he's his time's numbered yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think there's a there's a, a good portion of the fan base. And, you know, sometimes the loudest doesn't always reflect the majority. Um, social media might not reflect the majority. But when you look at attendance numbers, you look at the uh, the suites that are empty at the KFC Yum Center, a place that, you know, college basketball, Louisville is a very big college basketball market, one of the biggest in the country when it comes to TV ratings and and, you know, revenue and things of that nature, so on and so forth. But there's a lot of people that are already out on Kenny Payne because um, they feel as if he didn't handle the transfer portal right. You have two schools of thought, James. You have one part of the fan base that believes um, Kenny Payne couldn't do something or he couldn't go out and really repiece this lineup because of the cloud over the program and the fear that this team was going to get a postseason ban. And when the news came that they weren't going to get a postseason ban, obviously the season was about to start. Um, And then he is working with a, a team that has struggled over the past couple seasons. And then there's another part of the fan base that isn't as forgiving that believes, well, maybe you weren't able to go get a guy like Tyrese Hunter that you know, Louisville was 
you know, in the mix for, or Courtney Ramey from Texas, or what whoever may have you, they still could have gone out like an LSU who's facing multiple level one out level one uh, allegations and go out and get mid-major guards that could have re-pieced this team to where maybe they're not necessarily a final four contender, but they're a lot better than two and seventeen. And there's questions surrounding the coaching on the court, X's and O's. Um along with just recruiting in general in the 2024 class. So you had two very polarizingly different uh, sides that are really kind of clashing heads right now. And I'll be honest, the Louisville fan base, it's been a while since it's been this divided on something. What are the chances that, I can't believe I'm going to ask this question, that uh, when Kenny Payne gets fired after next year, that Rick Pitino does a LeBron James S coming home to save the program and to win oh a national God. championship again. Well, what are the percentage chances? I'd probably say about zero. Um, wow. I would love it. Don't get me wrong. Rick Pitino. I love Pitino. Um, only 24. So I don't remember the Denny crumb days, but Pitino was Louisville basketball up until 2017. So when he got fired, I mean, obviously I was hurt mentally, uh, emotionally, spiritually, physically, all of the levels above. Um, but, you know, they're they're honoring that 2013 team this year later on in February. So I'm glad that, you know, that team's getting its recognition. I think that, you know, you know, with the rulings that Patino was essentially defrauded and um, not giving any any punishment by the IARP is that people can say what they want. And, of course, it looks bad on his program, but uh, – Kenny Payne, uh, Rick Pitino isn't as bad of a uh, player in this respective saga as many thought him to be. But to answer your question, I, I don't think it's really going to be a possibility whatsoever. I wish it was, but um, right now, no, I don't think so. Do you think Pitino makes any jump to a power five school? What do, you, what do you think chances of that are? Because he's getting up there in age. If, if but... it does, it's going to be a geographical thing. Um, if Jim Beheim were to retire after this year, that would be a very interesting situation because he's from the Northeast um, coaching at Iona right now. That's an interesting situation if they were to look for him as kind of a short bridge into um, a new coach. Um, Georgetown's another one. If they look to move on from Patrick Ewing, that's one that I'm like, huh. Georgetown's also a program that has a, a rich history and um, kind of like Louisville, maybe not necessarily on Louisville scale, but they're a, sort of a sleeping giant in, in the respect of the college basketball realm. So Georgetown, Syracuse, like I said, I think it's all geographically based. I don't think he's going to go take a job at USC or something across the country, but if it makes sense and they go after him, I, I could see him um, you know, making a move up to somewhere in the Northeast. Texas has a job open. That's very true. I don't necessarily think that they would uh, or he would go for something that far away. Maybe I'm wrong, um, but who knows? Rick Pitino is, in my opinion, one of the top coaches of all time. So, Who's the best basketball, men's basketball team in the ACC right now? Clemson's the top of the standings, but it feels like maybe North Carolina, like Baycott's like right they're typically the best team. I think right now, I think you would have to say that Clemson's probably pound for pound playing as the best team. Um, maybe they're not as, as you know, na nationally recognized, but, uh, you know, 
Brownell has them playing as the best team in the ACC currently. I think North Carolina has the highest ceiling when you look at what they've done in the tournament. You know, all the guys that came back from last year, Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, Armando Baycott's one of the best players in the country. Pete Nance is the X factor there. Um, he when Before he got hurt just a week ago or so, uh, he was playing very, very well for the Tar Heels. Um, and then, obviously, Leaky Black, um, DeMarco Dunn, so on and so forth. So I think that maybe this is a different conversation February 23rd rather than January 23rd. But I think right now it's hard to go with anybody but Clemson. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Duke fires John Shire and Coach K comes back, maybe they can make a run. Here we go. I hope not. <laughs> Keep John Shire for as long as they need. <laughs> that's so. kind of a weird situation that's going on right now. Very interesting. It's, it's, it's I think Coach K still like has his office and like Duke, uh, and he's kind of like he's just floating around the program a little bit. His shadow kind of weighs hot heavy. I think the John Shire move looked good on paper, but I think people were overlooking that you are replacing the all-time winningest head coach in college basketball history so as much as people want to say about coach k i mean there's very very high expectations and maybe it's something that john shire just kind of has to grow into the position so but who knows i mean duke is duke you know they're not going to put up with that for long we'll see what happens let's transition to football i feel like i've watched a lot of louisville football games because it seems like they always have like the time slot on like a Thursday night or a Friday night or something Ooh, by themselves. They yeah. They yeah. had a lot this year. So I feel like I watched like a lot of them just because like, I'm not juggling between games on Saturdays as much with right. them, mm-hmm. but it seems like they're always just a team that I, at least over the last few years, haven't been able to figure out. Mm-hmm. It feels like sometimes I watch them and I'm like, Oh, I figured this team out. I actually don't think they're that good. <laughs> then I'll bet against them the next week. And then they'll end up like, winning and then i'm like oh wait maybe this team's actually good and then they'll lose to like boston college uh why is this team kind of it feels like so erratic at times over the last few years i know they have a new coach now was it was it coaching was it inconsistent quarterback play what was it i mean i I don't think the issue stayed the same the only consistency throughout scott satterfield's tenure was inconsistency so I think that, you know, it, it really just kind of depends. Early on, it was poor defensive play. You had a very good offense um, that was extremely explosive. Um, but essentially, throughout Scott Satterfield's tenure, they had a, a constant quarterback in Malik Cunningham. I don't necessarily think that staff did a good job of developing the quarterback position as a whole and addressing depth concerns, even when Malik Cunningham without with injury, uh, the lack of depth, uh, the recruiting uh, struggles at the position really uh, reared its head around. That was kind of the struggle this year offensively, not able to get the passing game going. The passing tree was obviously not necessarily the greatest either. Scott Satterfield runs a very run-dominant offense, um, so a lot of it's predicated on solid offensive line play and running the football, smash-mouth football, if you will, of the 70s and 80s. Um, so offensively team was pretty good up until about this year. And then the defense, they kind of flip-flopped. You had one of the best pass rushers in the country. So James, to make a long explanation short, just a lot of different things didn't add up when you had a good offense, the defense wouldn't come around and and vice versa. So doesn't seem like you're uh, that upset that he left for the Cincinnati. Oh no, we, let me tell you, there was a, not a, majority probably the majority of the fan base woke up that morning absolutely rejoicing 
because going into year five of Scott Satterfield, to say he was sold couldn't or to say the 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 fan base was sold on Satterfield was nothing further from the truth. I think year five was going to be the year that was going to be make or break. And now Louisville was able to go get their prodigal son in Jeff Brom that they've been waiting for since 2018. And Cincinnati has to pay them 3.5 million to take Scott Satterfield. It's a best case scenario for, for Louisville fans. That's part. That's kind of what I thought too, that you didn't, because it seemed like it was a rocky relationship with Louisville and Satterfield. It seemed like they Louisville didn't like him. It seems like he didn't like Louisville. He like said one time, like, one of the best parts about Louisville was the airport, which was like always kind of a weird thing. But... <laughs> I didn't see that, but that's hilarious. Yeah, that's, that's hilarious. like a quote that he had. It was like, uh... yeah, I mean, ever since uh, 2020, when he lied about meeting with the South Carolina brass about the job down in Bowling Green, I think that soured the fan base. And obviously, winning can cure that but the team wasn't really winning at the rate in which it needed to, to cure that. So I think, you know, a lot of both parties were kind of fed up with each other. It was probably the right move for Satterfield because he gets to kind of reset that clock and he gets time at Cincinnati now um, where who knows what expectations are in regards to um, how they run their program. I would assume probably pretty similar, especially going into the big 12, but it, it worked out for both parties. Well, Cincinnati is also a program. If you just look at their history over the last 20 years, every coach that's come in has just been good. Like no matter what now, was that just like a really lucky, like stretch of coaches or is this just like we'll a program see. that's just, we will you see. Know, in a situ- yeah, we will see. And now it's a whole new variable joining the big 12, which is a deep conference. And, uh, Maybe not the top heavy most conference, but it's a very deep conference. Better the- than the AAC that, that Cincinnati's used to, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. so Jeff Brom, new head coach, hired him from Purdue. What kind of expectations are we looking forward to year one? Because we've seen across uh, college football the last few years, the pressure's on to win early, and especially, you know, Sonny Dykes comes along at TCU year one going to the playoff going to the championship, yeah. not just the yeah. playoffs. Lincoln I would Riley. love for that to be a little, but I, I don't think it's going to be that, that um, obviously that, that uh, severe. But, I, I mean, the schedule Louisville has next year, there's no Clemson, there's no Florida State. The ACC has a new scheduling module to where you, you play three teams every single year. For Louisville, that is Miami, Georgia Tech, and Virginia. And then you rotate four teams out of the other 12 kind of each and every season. So um, I think that that's an interesting model, but this year it works out great. 2025, when you have Georgia, Clemson, Florida state, Miami, and all those, uh, that's going to be a little bit of a different story, but for next year, um, it looks pretty solid in terms of what the possibilities could be. Um, I, I think that you're looking probably, I mean, realistically, you know, Wolves always been a program that wins about seven to eight games, and then every handful of years you get double-digit wins. So I, I, I think eight wins, respectively, is a good starting point. Um, and obviously, I think the ceiling could be double-digit wins. Uh, the floor is probably about seven wins or so. They did a great job in the transfer portal uh, thus far, a um, great recruiting class coming in. And then Jeff Brom's offense is one that I, I'm very excited about. Um, and defensively, we brought in some – some solid guys in the portal. The main question about Purdue's uh, defense as it pertains to Jeff Brom is, you know, with him bringing over the co-defensive coordinators from Purdue, 
are we going to see some of those same defensive struggles that we saw for the Boilermakers? And I think um, we'll see if that gets alleviated a little bit better with, or alleviated a little bit more with uh, better recruiting. Um, but still a question worth asking. So I think this is going to be a very electric offense with a defense that's kind of wait-and-see approach. So uh, realistically speaking, I think uh, eight wins or so is a solid unbiased point of view when you look at what they've been able to do in the portal and the schedule. But um, I, I wouldn't necessarily argue with a fan or someone who says that they could get more just based upon the schedule. One thing Louisville has going for it as far as winning games next year is this the ACC is just kind of a mess. It's weird. It's yeah. really, really weird. And, I mean, people are looking at Miami. What It's hard to look at Miami and really understand what you're going to see next year because they were really talented on paper and they have a really talented recruiting class coming in, but they weren't good on the field. And you wonder, is it going to be one of those situations like A&M to where you have a very talented roster on paper, but coaching kind of holds it back. And I think that that's yet to be seen. So. I mean, Duke, Duke last year just comes out of nowhere. North Carolina was like this weird team that just played every game, like close, no matter what. Uh, yeah. Clemson's Clemson's not Clemson anymore. I mean, we'll they're see. not even on the schedule. Clemson and Florida State, who uh, Clemson had, what was not beating Florida or what was not beating Clemson since they joined the ACC back in 2014. No matter how close that they've been, Florida State um, has definitely started to rise a little bit, regardless of if Louisville's been competitive with them or not. To not have those two teams on the schedule, that's big time for Louisville next year, trying to set a precedent moving forward in Jeff Rom's era. A lot of times when I diagnose conferences or analyze conferences and like jobs and how a program kind of like views itself. Now, every program obviously wants to like be good and like wants to win championships and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out Louisville because like you said, they're kind of bounced around to like a few different conferences over the last like few decades in the ACC since 2014. They're maybe going to join the Big 12 at one point. Uh, there's been a few good years, like the Charlie Strong years are pretty strong. Uh, right. Bobby Petrino's years. How, how does Louisville kind of view itself as a football program? Like, ideally, like, are they do they want to be in the upper kind of like top, you know, third of the conference? Is that how they view themselves as a program? And is that their expectations? I mean, I, I think that you're you're on to the right track. I think that Louisville fans, um, a lot of them call it how it is. I mean, Louisville is a program that, you know, I mean, it's not a blue blood. It's not a program that's great historically. I mean, before Howard Howard Schnellenberger came in, this program was essentially non-existent. Um, But the past two decades have been pretty successful for the program as a whole. A couple of uh, BCS wins, things of that nature. Um, You're having some great players in the program like Teddy Bridgewater, Lamar Jackson, so on and so forth. I think people see Louisville as – a possibility that with the right coach, we saw with Charlie Strong, we saw with Bobby Petrino 1.0, that it has the resources, you know, from a funding standpoint, a facility standpoint, a conference opportunistic standpoint. There's possibilities that with the right coach, you can pretty much have a ton of success with the Cardinals. But right now we've seen in Bobby 2.0 and even with Scott Satterfield is that not not having seen that. So it's kind of like a sleeping opportunity is what I would call it. A dormant opportunity, if you will. Potentially a sleeping giant. Sleeping opportunity. 
Who, if uh, if both of these quarterbacks came back on campus right now, uh, Teddy Bridgewater and Lamar Jackson, who would be like the most popular if they just walked on campus right now? Definitely Lamar. I mean, Teddy is He's Teddy's cool. beloved. People love Teddy Bridgewater, and for good reason. I mean, I think that um, that's kind of like the golden era so far, Bobby 1.0 um, with uh, Brian Brom and company. Um, but those two years, when it beating Florida in the Sugar Bowl and going 13 and or 12 and one and beating Miami um, in the Russell Athletic Bowl, like people love Teddy, but Lamar Jackson is the best player in program history. Uh, what he was able to do, don't let the team successful. You first Heisman Trophy winner um, in program history. So um, there is a lot of love for Teddy Bridgewater, but there is an unprecedented amount of appreciation for number eight. Do you have any idea where uh, Lamar Jackson is going to play football next year? That's kind of been like a weird... I'm actually about to have an episode about that um, in the next week or so. Uh, my money would be on Baltimore mm. stop being cheap and upping that guaranteed money but if he wouldn't go if he wouldn't resign let's say that if baltimore was set on trading him because i think they're going to franchise tag him if they don't trade him or if they if they can't resign him um if he were to get traded um i think miami makes way too much sense because that would be an opportunity like no other um and then i i think the new york jets Man, that's a that's a very interesting opportunity there. I think they have the capital to make it happen in a trade, but they also have a defensive-minded coach with a good defense and some solid pieces offensively around him. So, Brees Hall, if they wouldn't have to trade him uh, in that package to Baltimore, um, man, I think that those would be probably the best two spots for Lamar um, in terms of a p- potential fit. I think those are pretty good options. He's going to be a rich man either way. Uh, very true. I think it's a little harder with him being his like own like uh you know he doesn't have an agent so he's the one doing all the negotiating. I think that's part of the reason maybe the deal hasn't gotten like completely finalized yet. But that'll definitely be interesting to see over the next few you know months I guess of what happens there. Uh, Dalton, do you want to tell us uh, where we can find all of your work and uh, we'll get out of here? Yeah, man. Uh, appreciate you having me on, James. You can follow me on Twitter at dpence underscore. That's D-P-E-N-C-E underscore on Twitter. Uh, you can find uh, uh, Locked on the Louisville um, on any streaming service out there, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, so on and so forth. Also, my work over at cardinalsportszone.com for my writing features. But that's all I got, James. appreciate you having me on. All right. Thank you very much. Okay, that's going to do it for the podcast today. Thank you again for listening. Thank you again to Dalton Pence. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast page if you want to listen to more interviews that we have and other content that we put out. Follow me on Instagram at JWSDetective. And follow me on Twitter at JDMajor2. Thank you again, and I will talk to you next time.